Hello and welcome to the 361 Degrees Podcast, Season 2, Episode 7. My name is Ben Smith from Wireless Worker. I'm Ray Blum from the All About Sites. And I'm Ewan McLeod from Mobile Industry Review and The Pursuit of Quality. And The Pursuit of Quality. And I've been enjoying reading that actually this week. You, you wrote about shoes and I never thought I'd be excited to read about shoes. but I've Pointy just... shoes. Pointy, I don't like pointy shoes in business. Okay. And a whole rich vein which we should unearth in some future podcast. <laughs> Uh, so, chaps, happy Christmas. This is like our last podcast of 2011. Uh, season's greetings. And happy new year. Well, it, not yes, it isn't, because well, I haven't done my Christmas shopping. But uh, <laughs> we should, as soon as I finish that, uh, sadly, spending most of last week talking about uh, low, low-cost handsets, whilst entertaining, doesn't necessarily suit everybody on my Christmas shopping list. So the current Mrs. Smith won't be grateful if I buy her another electronic device for Christmas. So <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's time to up my game in that respect. You want to get yourself on Amazon. Oh, indeed, Amazon is being a bit of a star at the moment, although I am quite pleased because quite aside from all the uh, Christmas present shopping, my Christmas wine has arrived. So, uh, Oh, uh, what, what did you get? Oh, just a, a, a case of something South African and red. Uh, not a present for anyone, just a present for me from me. You know, that's the important stuff. I need to get that. Oh, tasty wine. I'll, I'll give you recommendations later. Anyway, oh. chaps, uh, Ewan, what are we talking about this week? We're talking about the future of the mobile marketplace. And that's going to be a rather interesting discussion, I think. And Rafe, uh, we had a bit of a chat, uh, well, last week now, wasn't it, actually, in a, in a roundtable session, and it was really interesting. And we focused specifically on handset manufacturers, didn't we? Yes, we did. We were looking at the, the future from their point of view in what ways can they still be relevant, what ways can they be profitable, what sort of actions they should be taking, what strategies should they be thinking about, because you know the next decade or so is going to be a, a big change for them, you know, moving away from the sort of traditional model to something that's maybe a, a wider base. And my, my take is that the reason the question's being asked now is um, – Partly because the market seems to have really changed in the last few months. Well, I mean, it's it's, it's certainly polarising very heavily because I think when we say, well, uh, what's the future for mobile handset manufacturers? I think there's two questions. Uh, yeah, it's that one. And then what's the future for Apple? Because the, the big elephant in the room is Apple and what they're going to do and how we're going to uh, deal with them over the next couple of years. And are, are they going to go ballistic? You know, will we see Apple everywhere? Or are they, are they on the cusp of failing? Because I, I think there is a, a possibility for that. Okay, so before we get into the detail, let's just go around and, um, Rafe, you start because you're the sensible one. What do you think is one of the most important factors that is going to affect handset manufacturers in the next, well, let's say in the short term for the moment before we get into our 10 year plus? In the short term, I think it's going to be about consolidation into uh, sort of a number of ecosystems. Now, what number you talk about is. Uh, probably a separate debating point, but the impact that then then has on manufacturers and particularly the way they address the ecosystem, whether they do it on their own or in partnership with other companies, is going to be very important. And to me, that's almost the final stage of the convergence pattern that's been happening in mobile for quite some time now. But it's also addressing the fact that mobiles are moving away from being singular devices to being something that are very much outward looking and interconnecting with multiple other devices, platforms or things and objects, both in the physical and the digital world. And this is the word ecosystems we use a lot, isn't it? Which sounds a bit kind of uh, nerdy, but it's it's the best way to describe the fact that lots of people now have a finger in a mobile pie where it used to just be the people who made handsets, isn't it? 
That, that's right. It's a word I'm not particularly uh, keen on because I think ecosystems obviously has a very strong meaning in, in biology and ecology, but it does quite neatly address the idea that things grow on top of each other and are interconnected. And if we think about the way you use a typical mobile handset, it does now reach into almost all aspects of our lives. And, and you know, that is changing and growing all the time and so in that sense ecosystem is a nice way to think about it because it's a term that encompasses not just the handset itself as an object but all the things you might do with a handset or interact with the handset and ewan for you what's the sort of key issue here well, I, I, I'm I'm troubled by Apple because the the, the one manufacturer that, that can make stuff happen outside the ecosystem or outside this this whole industry and then bring bring other industries in into the, the or connected into the, the mobile industry is Apple, right? So um, I, I'm concerned about the other manufacturers uh, and how they respond to the Apple effect. So a, a quick example would be if if tomorrow Apple announced that every single train in America um, is now enabled with their own proprietary or specific, you know, um, uh, NFC gizmo. Uh, yeah, that's going to make a, a be a, a real problem. And, and people that say, well, oh, Apple would never do that, or the train companies would never do that. Well, you, the, the issue is that it working with Apple and making your service or facility um, compatible with Apple is is very much becoming the you know I never got fired because I you know I buy IBM. You know, I, I think that's a problem. Does I mean, much as I, I like Apple hardware and I've got a bunch of it in front of me here, does it really matter that much? Because although it's very popular in certain markets and it's very, you know, it's dominating uh, some parts of the high-end phone market, you know, with respect to the guys from Apple, globally mm. and, you know, across all the segments, they're, they're just a, a relatively small niche. And we're, we get back to these conversations about who's bigger, but... Maybe the question is here: Who has most influence? Are well, the, you really the, the, saying that Apple has that much influence? Yes, yeah. So I think that the fact that they might be a small niche player in in the the global scheme of things uh, is irrelevant, right? Uh, in in the context that these guys are. Well, first of all, we've been saying they're a small niche player since they announced the iPhone, right? But the big problem is that other industries pay attention to them. Right, so uh, uh, the the travel industry, for example, is uh, aligning itself closely with Apple. I mean, I I was at a, an event a couple of weeks ago purely for the business travel uh, marketplace, and goodness me, everything is Apple. Oh, we're, we're iPhone, iPhone, oh, and we're thinking about Android, but nothing else. So you know, soon you'll be able to unlock your or get into your hotel room in with some hotel chains via an Apple iPhone. No, I agree, totally, totally short-sighted because Apple is a very small. That doesn't matter, right? When these big companies are saying, "All right, we want to make our uh, our service mobile," and what they're thinking, you know, what the CEO, what the chairman, what the board, what the, the senior people are thinking is typically they're thinking Apple first, or or worse, only Apple. Okay, so is, sorry, go on, Rafe. I said, is that not fairly typical of how a market develops that you often have in the product lifecycle? an innovator and that at the moment that's apple i think that could quite easily change in the future but in order to go mass market you know you do need to have a more general solution and i think perhaps the problem yeah. here that and it's something we we talked about last week was actually it's a, a perception issue and i think those who know least about mobile are often most blinkered into the apple is the only way and those that understand 
mobile a little better are actually the ones that profit from it and i think this ties into something like the debate we see between do i do an iphone app or do i do mobile web to get the lowest common denominator and if you look at many of the most successful stories they're actually ones which target uh, either multi-platform or target web and i think the apple first thinking is it's a perception thing yes and i do agree with you and that it's something needs to be watched but the danger is for those who pursue the apple first policy because they then do tie themselves into a, a smaller addressable market well they do that right but if you think if you're a hotel chain in the west okay and of course it's got we've got to qualify it's got to be in the west if you're a hotel chain you say right now with an iphone you can use our app and it will unlock your phone you, the door you know, to your room, you, know, you can you can check into your room from the train, right? Um, that's a real bonus, a real plus for them. And I think the, the, these hotel chains literally are thinking about doing it for Apple only, some of them. Okay. Uh, so- is that a problem? Because that's just going to define the marketplace. Say, well, sorry, it's Apple only until such time as Google comes in line and says, right, all the Android phones will use the Apple uh, format. All right. So you're talking about mind share over market share, I think, right. aren't you? Really, you and well, I, we've been having this conversation actually for quite a while, and all that's happening is Apple's market share is increasing quite dramatically. True, it's, although, it's not. It's actually reducing at the moment. Well, okay, it's reducing because more and more people are buying smartphones, cheaper smartphones, fair point. What, what's this company going to do? Now, at the end of the year, it must have, what, $90 billion, um, it with free cash. They're going to have to do something soon okay. uh, at some point. It's going to be quite exciting to see what their next strategy is going to be. I think, well, I'm going to have my go now because we, before we right. drift off talking about too much about Apple, I think yeah. we, we'll come back to that in a second because it's an interesting theme. But for me, um, in the conversation that we had last week, the theme that stood out for me was um, about how mobile devices now, especially mobile handsets, are now um, they're now a popular subject. They're now pub conversation, yeah, yeah. and they're now jewelry. Basically, they're now yeah. as much accessories and status symbols as they are bits of kit that get let you get stuff done. And however much that might annoy the geeks amongst us, because these things are, you know, virtually handheld computers. Mm. Um, you know, actually, what ma- what me- what's uh, going to drive the market mm. now is as much how they look, how they feel, and the cachet associated with the brand as whether or not it's got a 15 gigapixel <laughs> uh, camera and, you know, a, a squillion jinty bytes of RAM or, or whatever, you know. And, um, well, I, we we talked about that briefly, but but we then sort of moved on, didn't we, to talk about how actually brands' relationship with consumers would, would be the thing that shapes that. You know, um, we, would um, would Apple have the best brand you know, loyalty because of its, you know, it's got legions of fans or could some of the other manufacturers like the Samsungs and the HTCs of this world do something clever in order to get people to sort of see them as, as high end. I mean, we mm. did also briefly talk about Nokia as well, which has this kind of weird split personality that in some parts of the world, it's still seen as a very premium desirable brand. And yet in North America, there is a general perception that Nokia really means low end dumb phone. Um, but Ewan, we talked about, uh, in terms of how how brands could talk to consumers differently, we talked about things like subscription plans and things. I just wonder if mm. you could sort of recap that. Well, what we were, we're, one of the questions that we were kicking about last week was, if if you're an independent manufacturer, so but that we mean HTC or Samsung or or the like, manufacturing for an ecosystem. So HTC making something for Android or Windows and like, yeah, how are you going to differentiate? How are you going to um, 
get attention when when it's essentially it's coming down to an OEM perspective, particularly when you're dealing with Android. And so hold for a second, just just recap for for people who aren't kind of in the industry. What does the whole OEM thing mean? OEM, yes, yeah, sorry, yeah, I'm throwing it away there. Yeah, is uh, original equipment manufacturer, as in uh, just a guy that makes um, boxes, effectively a, a box shifter. So HTC make the handset. Uh, they don't control the ecosystem or Android. That's that's Google's thing. So they they're just making the hardware. So this is like being a Dell, being Dell for PCs. Right. Yeah, and, and having to use Windows, or the, yeah, and so on. Okay. So how do you differ? If you're Dell, how do you differentiate your 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 box compared to the Sony box um, or, or the like? So um, what I was uh, thinking about was the possibility of subscription. I don't know if this has ever happened, but uh, I do like the idea of these manufacturers because. <laughs> Because they are very um, limited in that, if you're if you're buying an Android phone or a Google phone, the chances are you don't really care so much about the brand. Uh, and I think a lot of research I've seen um, o- over this year in particular has been saying that the, the, the consumer doesn't really care. They want a Google phone or an Apple phone or a Nokia, but they don't really care whether it's an HTC, a Samsung, or an LG or something else. So if you're one of those manufacturers, how do you get people's attention and how do you maintain? Um, attention and, and money. So I was thinking about subscription. So I'd like to put it to, to both of you. How would you react to HTC or Samsung or somebody else saying, tell you what, uh, for the next five years or for an ongoing unspecified period, you can unsubscribe at any time, uh, 10 or a month or 20 quid a month, and you'll receive every single handset that we make. Uh, you know, as in, so you always have one handset from us, uh, and you just, but you just subscribe to HTC. Blanford, what do you reckon? Uh, well, it strikes me rather like the book club model, which looks quite nice in the adverts, but when it actually comes down to it, you end up with things that you don't really want and you end up paying a premium. I, I do like the idea of maybe a certain exclusivity to it and the idea of really good customer service that you pay a premium for. But I think the danger is in that kind of a model is the temptation is to go for cut pricing. And as I say, the book club model, which... It's attractive on the surface, but perhaps when it actually comes down to it, it just turns out to be a bit inconvenient and you end up with stuff you don't want. Yeah, I'm I'm not a fan because I, I have favourite brands right now. But if I think about my relationship with consumer electronics over the last five years, that's shifted loads. And I don't think I would want to be tied into, let's say HTC, because I think that came up in, in the conversation I don't think I'd want to be tied to HTC for five years, even if they made my favourite handset now and the one I wanted to buy next. Because I know well that, as we were saying earlier, um, as long as I can get you know Android or Windows Phone or whatever platform is my preference, um, I, I, I want the freedom to change. And where I see it could work potentially would be network operators offering subscription plans, which are kind of variations on the subsidy they give now, whereby... Um, I can pay a bit more of a premium and they can switch handsets in and out, but they can switch multiple brands in and out. So I get, you know, the, the best that they can offer or, um, but I'm just not sold. And I don't see that it's a model that consumers would recognize because high end devices and the sort of the more premium end of the market where most of the profit is, if you look at other consumer electronics, nobody else is buying those things on subscription. It's a really hard fault sell. Well, you, see, it's like you say it's hard fault, but it makes a lot of sense financially for a lot of different uh, parties. These manufacturers, so that, yeah, the reason HTC will have to increase 
their 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 standard bill of materials for a phone yeah you know, quite dramatically because they've got a market right they got they've got to market a lot to try and get you to buy the phone if they can say look we we want you know we want to, if we've got a million people each paying us 20 quid a month on the understanding that every time every 6 months or or every new period a new hand, we'll manufacture a really cool new handset and you'll get it isn't the trouble it harnesses the company to a different kind of uh, slavery, if you like, in terms of keeping those people happy? I'm not sure that you'd be able to do both at the same time. And you're still going to want to cut the price. And ultimately, you're still going to have to pay the price that the manufacturer needs plus 5% for their profit margin. Right, OK, well, hold on a minute. Right, 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 listen, I'd love to do that. Wouldn't that be amazing to pay the manufacturing price plus 5%? Now, what would happen if, if one or two of these, these manufacturers said, you know what, we've realized, we, we've looked down the future path and gone, right, okay, this is going to be very difficult. So it's now a cost plus 5% or 7%. So that would put your Apple, at, you know, an iPhone 4S, currently retailing at 600 quid to what, $186 um, plus, plus uh, let's call it $200. But that's not the way market forces work. The whole point is that manufacturers will want to get you to pay whatever they think is the maximum possible amount. And elastic pricing is something that's more likely to come in than that kind of 5%. And, of course, the cost of the handset, um, there's a bit of materials that you're referring to there for the $180-odd. A lot of money is spent on uh, distribution, support, marketing, whatever else it happens to be that's significant cost. Yeah, Yeah. R&D. I I just – I can see – I don't think it would work for all the reasons as Rafe said, but I think for me the crucial reason that I don't think see it taking off is that it works for everyone except the consumer. I I really don't see that the price difference that you would achieve, even if in theoretically it could work, and I don't think it would, would be big enough for consumers to forego their choice. You know, the market pressure yeah. now is downwards on price anyway. Things it's a very competitive market indeed, and. Um, you know, prices are trending down anyway, especially as technology gets cheaper. I just don't see that that's a meaningful way for them. I, just, to I don't know if you, this is this is true about prices coming down. The, the operators have pushed us from 12 months, right, subsidy, to your contract length, to 18 months, to 24, and 24 is now the standard, right? So you try and get a new phone, in the UK at least, it's 24 months you've got to pay, right, yeah. I, I have a contract for. So... That's a minimum. How long before it's three years? But I, I think that that, although um, network operators have used that tactic to try and sort of stave off some of the uh, some of the bath they were taking on pricing because they overpromised and underdelivered in terms of data and calls and packages and all this kind of stuff, and you know consumers are using up more and more, which is why they've had to lock us in for longer and longer. I think that what that really points out, though, is actually that everyone for the most part, certainly in North America and Europe, buys, no, not in North America and Europe, but certainly in the UK and North America and, and a significant number of other markets, buys their handsets um, subsidised by the network operator. Um, and and so they have a meaningful control over what you buy, how you, and how you buy it. And that's a big risk for those operators and, uh, sorry, those for those handset manufacturers. And Rafe, in the markets where people tend to buy handsets completely sim free what what's your take on um on the biggest influencer on um on, on what's m- making people decide i think i'd return to what you were talking about earlier with handset uh, loyalty and the sort of the fashion idea and it's almost as if you know traditionally we thought about phones mainly in terms of an engineering challenge in terms of specifications and while that's still very important it's not going away altogether 
And it's almost like design has become the new engineering. That's the competency that you really need in those markets that are driven, as you say, mainly SIM-free. Um, and so if you look at out in India, say, that's one of the reasons Nokia's maintained its reputation is because it's got a reputation for producing handsets that last. Against that, it's the cost from the, particularly the um, home, homegrown Indian manufacturers. Um, but I do think those kind of qualities of design and fashion, which are getting harder to separate with the caveat that they do include some engineering expertise and components are the sort of the critical factors, which is actually the reason I have some optimism for the traditional manufacturers because of the competencies and the expertise they already have. Okay, I wanted to jump on this because uh, you raised an important point, Rafe. Um, who's going to win out here, the new guns or the old guns? Because my I started off the conversation thinking that it was a dead cert for... Um, the newer manufacturers who are going to win this out uh, because we saw a lot of old names like Motorola and Palm and even Sony Ericsson, or, or you know, it's being sold to Sony. The, these, these names are sort of failing or being bought out and things like that. Um, and so, you know, would the HTCs and the, and the Samsungs of the world rule uh, or, or actually is there a point now where the skills that the, the, that the remaining manufacturers have begin to matter? Rafe? I think the skills the manufacturers have do matter. I mean, like you, I would have said before having this conversation, these thoughts, that actually the new manufacturers have a big role to play. And I still think they do, because I think the market will probably be dissected between the two, with a lot of it driven by cost. But if I was trying to stick my neck out, I think I would say there is going to be consolidation down to a big three, which will be Nokia, Microsoft, uh, then possibly Samsung, Android, although Samsung may have their own ideas there, and Android might be an agglomeration of these new startups. And then no, there's Apple. Nice use of the word agglomeration, by the way. Well slipped in. And uh, then there'll be the boutique manufacturers, some of which will be existing ones, you know, the style-centric Sony, if you like, the business-centric BlackBerry, maybe, and so on. And so I actually think a number of the traditional manufacturers and probably I'd list only Nokia and Samsung among them as having a chance to remain dominant. The rest are going to be fighting for scraps from the table with clearly some outliers. And HTC could well do something really interesting, as could LG. Mm, I, uh, I think you're probably right there, Rafe. I mean, I, let me ask you this question, both of you. Look, uh, when you buy a modern smartphone, whatever brand, but a modern one, a, a 500 pound, 500 euro, $600 phone, how long should it last in terms of coolness and capability before the next one comes out and it's, it's not popular anymore? So for example, I bought the Nexus S when it came out. I think that was that February time. And uh, by, you know, by, by November, it's dead. It was not dead. It's just, it's old. So how long, and when we're talking about fashion, this is important, right? You, you, people aren't buying phones to last for two or three years. What do you think? Well, it's an interesting point you raised there because I think that they need to, I think they need to last. Sort of something that ties into the the network operator contract period for those of us who live in subsidised markets. So you know, like you say, eighteen months or twenty four months. But that's going to be difficult to gauge in other markets where people buy them SIM free. Although. You know, I can't imagine buying a 500 euro device and not expecting it to last more than a year. No, we're not. We're not talking about, and you are not talking about the, the actual ability for it to, you know, 
function. I'm talking about the coolness. No, sorry, that, yeah, that's yeah, what I yeah. mean. Yeah, to, yes. so to last in terms of things I'm prepared to bring out and put on the pub table without being embarrassed. But also, talking about that makes me think about how important build quality is because I bought an Nexus S when they launched as well, and I realised fairly soon afterwards that the the coolness, the cachet that that device had was all around the fact that it was a kind of um, uh, the the flagship Google phone. Yeah. And as soon as it stopped being the flagship Google phone, mm. it was a middle-of-the-road Android device that looked nasty, cheap, and plasticky. Yes. Uh, yeah. And I realized that, actually, for my next couple of devices, something that is well-built of nice materials, it might not run the most modern operating system or you know uh, be kept up to date, but I would still want it to look nice. And, I mean, it pains me to say it, but some of the BlackBerry devices, as much as I hate what happens inside them, um, you know the the finish and the finish and build quality on the bold, the newest bold, for example, the ninety nine hundred, mm. is actually quite nice. And I, I also like the fit and finish on the Lumia eight hundred that I've got on the desk in front of me. And it makes me reticent to buy some of the cheaper plastic stuff. I mean, for example, like the new um, Galaxy Nexus. Mm. Uh, the sorry, the the new uh, the new Prime. Google phone. Yeah, that's yeah. just come out. Um, because although it looks awesome in terms of capability and OS. I think it's going to end up looking cheap and plasticky six months in when there's, you know, every phone is running ice cream sandwich. What do you reckon, Rafe? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, ideally coolness should be timeless and we think of design classics and they remain cool forever afterwards. And that's about the, the shape and the sort of quality of the product. I think we've been misled in one sense by software because the idea that that would be the death of hardware, that clearly hasn't been the case. You know, coolness is still attached to hardware just as much as it is with software. But speaking as a consumer, I'd like it to last as long as possible. So I wonder whether there's there's scope for sort of doing things in hardware design that kind of enhance that. And just to take one example, you know, would it be possible to put a, a wraparound skin, a sort of smart material around a phone that allowed you to change the colour or the properties of it at the sort of touch of a button? And we've all seen the concept videos where the kind of nano services allow that kind of thing. Would that allow a, a, a device to remain cooler for longer? I mean, ultimately, people... Uh, want to be cool but they don't want to spend money doing it and so the longer you can make it last the better and that's perhaps a property handset manufacturers could look for yeah it's well actually let's let's start to wrap up because i think you, you it's an important point there rafe in terms of we've had this whole conversation in terms of what are the problems and what are the challenges for handset manufacturers and what are the issues that are addressing them but what should they do if you were sitting in a ballroom now for a mobile manufacturer, what are the things that matter? What should you focus on in terms of being successful? Um, and, and does it matter whether or not you also own your own ecosystem, as we talked about at the beginning? Because there are some that do and some that don't. And I don't know if it makes a difference. Um, Mr. Blanford, you get to go first. Uh, you give me the difficult bit. Uh, I'm going to give three answers here. And one is, I think, yes, it's important to have at least a stake in the ecosystem because that gives you chips on the table that you'll be playing at because to have, be a successful ecosystem, you are going to have to work with others. I think that's inevitable because I don't believe vertically integration for a company makes sense. There's just too many competencies to keep track of. So that's 
one answer. The second point is really about how the company should address the market. And it's not something we really touched on in the podcast, but it's global versus local. And, you know, this is a popular thing to bring up in industry, but I do think it, it really is important in the mobile space. And this is the idea that you need to be global to get the economies of scale. And this goes back to the big three I was talking about. But you also need to be local. And this is the idea that you need to be aware of cultural norms within a country and how the consumer varies enormously. And in order to really effectively serve them, you need to be specific to their market. And I guess the, the third point is I'd like to see an investment in material science or research and development in that area, because I think despite you know hardware specifications becoming less important, I still think the actual feel of the object in the hand, which is a lot about materials, is really important. So that sort of, I guess, that twin attribute of material science to build a really great feeling device and design to make it look great as well when it's in the hand. So those are the three things I would look at as a handset manufacturer. Ewan? I, I, I totally agree with uh, what Rafe was saying there, and I, I think they're very important. However, my, my viewpoint uh, is in 16 parts. <laughs> <laughs> Part one, uh, basically, mine is very simple. Uh, I think you have to delight the consumer, uh, and and I think that if if you're delighting the consumer and by whatever way you can come up with, and, and I, I want to see these companies doing interesting, exciting, stimulating things rather than just knocking out the same handsets, which a, a lot of these OEMs are doing. You know, they're very very similar a lot of the stuff, and they can make some money there. But I wonder if they took a little bit of time, and I think they're going to have to in the future to, to actually sit back and, and and think, how can I delight? the consumer and yeah, invest heavily in research and development and come up with things that are going to make us really sit back and go, wow, because we have a lot of the hygiene factors there, right? If you're an Android manufacturer, for example, or a um, Windows Phone manufacturer, yeah, the basics are there. Uh, you know, the, the contacts, the calendaring, the syncing, the SkyDrive, it's all there. What what's now about is what you can do with the handset or what, what, what your, uh, your, your smart additions allow the consumer to do. So, I think it's about delighting the consumer. I'd like to see handset manufacturers move out of the their box a little bit. We talked about ecosystems, and some people own the ecosystem and some people don't. But it's very rarely do handset manufacturers move beyond that, beyond the operating system and the, and the underpinning services, even if they do. So, you know, Apple and BlackBerry all own their own OS and most of the services that work in them. And you know, the Android guys don't, and the Windows phone's a bit of a mixed bag, and, mm. you know, it's difficult to know where Nokia stand because they're, they're, they're in, but they're also influencing the platform. But what none of them seem to be doing is actually then moving up the stack to influence network operators. I'd like to see, um, you know, handset manufacturers working to actually ch genuinely change the way that services are delivered to consumers, to take away some of those barriers. I mean, one of the examples we talked about in the roundtable we did last week was about doing away with the need to tie one handset to one phone number to one SIM and to allow people to move services around so that handset manufacturers could sell three or four handsets to each consumer and you'd have them like jewellery, which you would pick and choose Great what you wanted to bring where. Now, I mean, that's a really easy thing to say and it's I understand it's technically complicated, but the point is now that in a lot of markets, the smartphone or phone penetration is over 100% anyway, so people are already doing it but you could go the next quantum leap and go to three, four, five hundred percent penetration when some of those silly technical barriers are taken away and it would open up the market for everyone. It's Love interesting it. that 
Apple sometimes are rumoured to be looking at starting their own network. And I don't know if it's true or not. I mean, I think it's often because they just have such a large amount of money in the bank that it looks like they could do it unaided. But I don't see why they wouldn't team up. And I also dislike this idea that that handsets have to be all things to all people. I'd actually like, I was building on your point, Ewan, I'd like to see a bit of personality in each of the handset manufacturers so that I know what type of device I'm going to get from each firm. And they don't try and cover all their bases, but you go and buy an HTC or a Samsung or or even an Apple device for for that matter, because specifically of the design choices and, and and the personality of that device, rather than this idea that every device should suit everyone completely. And it, you know, it's kind of, it's either a shade of beige or it's so horrendously complex to configure and add software to and this kind of stuff that it could never be um it can never be top of the game uh because it's trying to be everything to everyone should we we perhaps say that there's multiple ways or multiple recipes to get to the same solution which is ultimately providing a good user experience a good way to do things and at the moment you know we're in danger of having two samier mobile industry i'd far rather accept that you know there may be some big players but plenty of other ways to have a successful business and make money yeah absolutely okay guys i think we should call time on it there um as ever interested to hear comments on the podcast please leave a comment wherever you wherever you hear this i hope you've enjoyed uh 2011's episode so in season two we're going to come back and we're going to do three more episodes in january before we then take a bit of a break and prep ourselves for season three um have a great christmas chaps you too. Thank you, Ben. Thank you. Uh, I hope Santa brings you all of the low-budget handsets that you've dreamed of. No. Uh, <laughs> uh, <yeah. laughs> okay. I'd like some socks, please. Okay, excellent. And uh, we will be back in the new year. Thank you very much for listening as ever. Goodbye. Goodbye.